You're listening to the podcast of Village Church in Burbank, California. To learn more about Village Church, visit our website at villagechurchburbank.org. We hope you enjoy today's message. All right, so we are on the tail end of a series that we've been in this year, 2023, Talking about faith, the nature of faith, what it is, what it isn't, how it works, how it doesn't work. And next weekend, we will bring this series to a close. It's been, um, you know, I think fun for me to put together and present to you. And I've gotten some good feedback on the material we've covered. And I'm, I'm grateful that it's resonated with quite a few people. Um, what we're going to do today, this is the fifth of the six sermons. What we're going to do today, I talked a bit last week opened up a can of worms related to the Bible and our relationship with the Bible. And I want to delve deep into that this weekend. So the title of the sermon, very simply, is Reading the Bible Well. Reading the Bible Well. And we're going to look at the very last verse of our text from last week. I want to bring it back into your minds. And let's look at what Jesus tells the Pharisees here. John 5, verse 39. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that testify on my behalf. One of the things I think all of us in this room who are followers of Jesus, one of the things we can all agree on, something that we all share a common understanding of, is that the Bible is going to be kind of important when it comes to our spiritual growth. It's going to be important for us to have a relationship with the Bible. We ought to read the Bible. Um, Somebody comes into Village Church for the first time and they decide, I want to be a Christian, I want to get baptized. We say, that's wonderful. And by the way, you're going to need this. You're going to need a Bible. (laughs) And it's just something that I think is instinctual to all of us, that if we're going to grow in the character of Christ, the Bible is going to be absolutely essential to that formational process. We all agree on that. I certainly do. But, how many of you saw that coming? But, it is possible that you can read the Bible in a way that does you absolutely no good whatsoever. This was part of Jesus' frustration with the Pharisees. What a sad and tragic tale the Pharisees are. Because at their core, they really were good people, well-meaning people. At least they started out that way. Generations before Jesus shows up on the scene, Israel was in a very precarious position. Morale was at an all-time low. They had been ruled over and domineered by pagan powers for centuries. And they were losing hope and they were losing faith. And in this tumultuous period, it was the Pharisees who rose to the occasion and they sought to hold fast to their faith in God and to keep their faith at the center of Jewish life and culture. And it may surprise you to know this, but the Pharisees had a whole lot in common with Jesus. Jesus had way more in common with the Pharisees than he did any other group in Israel. Sadducees, Essenes, Zealots, whoever else. 
The Pharisees and Jesus shared a lot of common understanding. And there were Pharisees who loved Jesus. Did you know that? There were Pharisees who followed Jesus. There were Pharisees who were sympathetic to Jesus. I think it's important that we don't paint them with a broad brush without acknowledging that. That there are exceptions in the Scriptures. But generally speaking, somewhere along the way, there take Israel back for God movement began to eclipse some things that should never be eclipsed and it began to distort the way they look at things now for all of the negative things that have been and can be said about the Pharisees don't forget this they knew their Bibles so to speak we would say it like this they were the Bible readers of their day they were the Bible believers of their day. They knew what was in those scrolls that we call Holy Scripture. They were Bible people. However, when the one about whom all of Scripture revolves around comes and stands right in front of them, they don't recognize him. Think about that. That your central identity is we are Bible people. We read the Bible. We love the Bible. We believe the Bible. We believe every word of the Bible. But when the one to whom all of Scripture points comes and stands in front of you and looks you in the eye, you don't, you don't recognize him. And Jesus says, you guys search the Scriptures. You, you have your noses in your Bibles and all because you think that in them you have eternal life. But it is they that bear witness to me. And it can happen to us. In fact, not only can it happen to Christians, it does happen to Christians. Actually, a lot. I'll give you a a historical example. I've used it before. I like to use it because it's easy to understand. It's no longer controversial, and it works well enough. But if we were to zip back in a time machine 150 years ago, we would find all kinds of good fine, staunch, Bible-believing Christians who saw absolutely nothing wrong with slavery. And if you were to challenge them on it, they would go to their Bibles and they would pull it out and they would point to this verse and say, there you go. Slaves, obey your masters. The Bible says it. I believe it. That settles it. God's pro-slavery. And yet he's not. This is an extreme example of how we can read the Bible in a wrong way. But we're talking tonight about reading the Bible well. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. And I'm going to get to that in just a moment. But before I do, I want to give you several statements, four things, four statements real quickly, four things that the Bible is not. Four things the Bible is not. First of all, the Bible is not a tool that we use. That's what happens when we take a utilitarian approach to the Bible and we attempt to use the Scriptures. Everybody say use. That word use is appropriate when it's applied to certain objects like a monkey wrench or a screwdriver or a handsaw. But that word's never appropriate when it's applied to human beings. And when it's applied to Scripture, Holy Scripture is too sacred a thing for you to use. That's not the point of the Bible. It's 
it's not a tool that we use. And when we view it that way, the Bible just becomes an almanac, it becomes an encyclopedia, or worse yet, a manual. Here's your manual for life, brother. The Bible is no such thing. The problem with using the Bible is that it leaves you in charge of your own life. And the issue with that is that we all think we know what we need more of in life. You think you know what you need more of. I think I know what I need more of. Basically, just more money, right? More blessings along the way. And so all I need is a tool to help me to get what I need. And that's how we use the Bible. But the Bible is not a tool. It's not something to be used. A second thing, the Bible is not something you fit into your life. It's like somebody saying, I want to get the ocean into my life. Well, you can get into the ocean, but you can't exactly get the ocean into your life. That's not how it works. And see, the Bible is much, 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 much bigger than we think it is. And you can't fit the Bible into your life without shrinking it down and making it much too small. Another thing, the Bible isn't about you either. I know that's how we've been schooled and trained and coached in American Christian culture, that the Bible is God's personal love letter to you. That's not what the Bible is. The Bible's not about you. Actually, your name isn't even in it. What's the Bible about? I think it's pretty obvious. The Bible is about God and his creation and how things have gone horribly wrong and yet how he's in his son making all things right and making all things new again. And you're invited to participate in that. You're included in that. But the Bible isn't about you. And if you read the Bible as if it's about you, there are massive sections of the Bible where you're going to be like, what does this have to do with me? And you'll just skip over those parts. But the Bible is about God's complicated relationship with his creation and how he's making it all right. You're included. You're invited to participate. But when we read the Bible as if it's all about us, it reveals our arrogance. And it also, I think, is a subtle way to try to have a relationship with the Bible and keep self at the center of the universe. But actually, the Bible will not allow you to do that if you're reading it well. One more statement. The Bible is not an almanac of God facts. When you approach the Bible like like that, you are very concerned that as you read the Bible, I get everything categorized and systematized and in correct order so that there are no contradictions and it makes sense to me and you get it inside your head and you say, by golly, I know the Bible. I have all kinds of God facts and God information crammed into my brain and I treat the Bible like it's an almanac about God. I'll say more about that in a moment. So the Bible's not a tool that we use. It's not something we fit into our life. It's not about you, and it's not an almanac of God facts. What is the Bible then? Well, the Bible's a story, first of all, among other things. The Bible is a story. And as you read the Bible, we are to allow ourselves to tumble down into the story, be immersed in the story, and When the Bible is confusing, just let it be confusing. And come on, don't tell me that the Bible is not at least half the time massively confusing. 
It absolutely can be massively confusing. You start off in Genesis, you're reading about creation and you learn about these exciting characters like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph and, and his reconciliation with his brothers in Egypt and there's a lot of really cool things happening and then Exodus and the, the plagues and then the crossing of the Red Sea with Moses and all of this. And then you get into Leviticus. Entire chapters about women's menstrual cycles. And you're like, what is, what is this? What, why is this here? What's this doing in the Bible? But you just go with it, and you let the Bible tell its story. And you just be confused, and you say, I don't know what's happening here. I don't know what this is about. I don't know what's going on here, but I'm just going to keep going. And as Christians, we know this much, that the point is to find Jesus. I've been thinking this week about C.S. Lewis's book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe where these four children, Susan, Peter, Edmund, and Lucy, climb into this wardrobe. And this wardrobe happens to be a portal to another world. And as they climb into the wardrobe, they just tumble down into this whole new reality, this whole new world called Narnia. They just fall into the story. And they look around and they, of course, over time, they encounter all of these interesting things and all these interesting char characters. But most importantly, they encounter the lion king of Narnia, Aslan, this beautiful, majestic creature. And it's the wardrobe that mysteriously makes it possible. That's what the Bible is. The Bible is the wardrobe. And the point of getting into the Wardrobe is not to just experience the wardrobe. In other words, the Bible is not an end unto itself. The Bible is the inspired, God-breathed, indispensable means by which we can tumble down into the story and encounter the risen Christ. And that's the point of the whole thing. I don't get into the wardrobe to study the craftsmanship and to analyze all of the contours of the wardrobe, as fun as that might be. I get into the wardrobe because it's the portal by which I encounter the king of the universe. That's what I want. And that's what the Bible enables me to do. Let's talk about India for a moment. I've been to India twice, uh, although one of those trips has an asterisk on it, and I'll explain that one day. Basically, they just sent me right back. I spent 40 minutes in customs. They sent me right back. But then I got to go back, and I got to stay there. Imagine you have a guy who has read hundreds of books on the nation of India. He's read thousands and thousands of pages about India, and he can tell you all about the history of India. He can tell you about the Aryans and the Hindus and the Muslim conquest with the Mongols. And, and he can tell you about the arrival of the British Empire and the East India Company and, and how they make India the crown jewel of the British Empire. And, and then he, tell, he can tell you about Mahatma Gandhi in, in 1948 and how they're all liberated. And he's got all of these facts about the history, these important figures, these, these vital dates in their past. He can tell you about the geography of India. He could lay out a map and identify every
every single one of the states of India, with every single one of their capital cities, and he can tell you about um, geographically the, the different linguistic differences and the religious differences and the climate. He's got all of these thousands and thousands of facts about India crammed into his brain, categorized and systematized and harmonized and organized. That's one way. The other way to experience India is we're going to put you on a plane. One of those nonstop direct flights from Newark to New Delhi, 14-hour flight. And we land there in New Delhi, India, and we get you through customs. We retrieve your baggage, and then we just kind of gently shove you out the door onto the sidewalk of New Delhi, India, and we leave you there and disappear for three weeks. And you're stumbling out onto the sidewalk of this major city of over 15 million people, dwarfs LA. And you look around, there's like this cacophony of sounds and aromas and smells and heat and spices. And there's people shouting. There, 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 there's horns blowing, there's people tugging at your jacket, or actually probably not wearing a jacket in India, tugging at your shirt to get you into their little rickshaws. And you're there for three weeks. You don't know the language. So most of the time, you don't even know what's going on. You don't know the customs. You don't know what to eat, how to eat, where to eat, how to use a toilet, all of that. And you're just immersed in it for three weeks. Guess what? You know what India's like. Not the guy who's read a book. And see, what the Bible wants to do in a beautiful, mysterious way, it, it wants to draw you in so that you can tumble down into the story. Not approach it with this analytical agenda. I've got to get everything in order. I've got to understand everything, and there must be no contradictions, and there must be no confusion. That's how you end up with a shrunken-down Bible that you can just conveniently tuck into your brain like an almanac of God facts. That's completely different than being drawn into the story and being immersed in the story where you're like, I don't even know what every horn on every head of every beast stands for in the book of Revelation, but wow, something is happening here, and I want to let this story speak to me. Does that make sense? The best way to read the Bible is to read it without an agenda. What do I mean by agenda? There's the agenda of gathering information. There's the agenda of confirming an opinion. There's the agenda of finding a proof text so that I can prove to you that after all, what I've been thinking is, is actually right. Where, where's that verse that says I'm right? Where, where's that verse that says I'm right? I know it's in here somewhere. There it is. You see, I'm right. That's using the Bible with an agenda. And you never change. When the Pharisees read their Bibles, they were never surprised because they just read what they had come to expect. There was no mystery. There was no more beauty. There was no more wonder. There was no more story. It just became a reservoir of God facts that they already knew. And so they just read and reread what they already believed. 
and it just reconfirmed everything that they had always assumed. And the Bible never surprised them. But when they met Jesus, he was full of surprises. Virtually every passage in the Gospels, people are amazed, they're appalled, they're confused, they're bewildered. And put the Pharisees on the top of that list. And who is Jesus? He's the Word of God. He's the Word of God made flesh. And what the Bible wants to do, if we will just simply let the Bible do what it wants to do, is the Bible wants to draw you in and say, come here, come here, come here. Don't look at me. Look at him. Jesus, I'm pointing you to him. If the Bible no longer surprises you or even confuses you, you're reading the Bible wrong. You should at least occasionally be bewildered by the Bible. Like, what is happening? What is going on here? Occasionally being bewildered by the Bible is a sign that you're probably reading it well. I heard a guy preaching one time. He was preaching on the story of Noah's Ark there at the beginning of the book of Genesis. And he was talking about how he's reading this story uh, about the flood. And in the text, you know, he observed that it talks about how the water, the flood... um, rose to a level that was over the highest mountain. And so in his sermon, he's talking about, you know, the highest mountain we now know is, is Everest, which is 28,035 feet. And it says it rained 40 days and 40 nights. So this guy had figured out somehow with his own mathematical formula, he had figured out how hard it needed to rain in 40 days and 40 nights to cover 28,035 feet. Well, good for you. And your little uh, junior high arithmetic story problem. If Everest is 28,035 feet, how hard must it rain for 40 days and 40 Is that the point of the story? Is that what the story's about? Is it about the weather? Or is, is it about how destructive lust and violence are? But you can just start obsessing about different aspects of this story. So it says that Noah went out and found two of every kind of animal. Did you know they tell us there's over a million different kinds of beetle? There's over a million different species of beetle. So you just got to sit there and imagine Noah going, okay, 962,412. Wait a second, is this male or female? Oh, I got two females. Got to go find another one. That is not the way to read that story and come up with that kind of problem. Or you got these people that say, we're going to go... We're going to go out to Turkey and find Noah's Ark. Well, good for you. Then you will have proven the Bible, and I'm sure God will appreciate that. (laughs) Maybe next you can prove God's existence. I'm sure he'll be thankful for that as well. He never asks us to prove anything. He asks us to live it. Listen to the story. Fall into the story. And just be there and ask, what's going on? What, What... How has the world gone so wrong that this horrific judgment's coming? What do I need to learn from this? And what's this rainbow all about? And and what about this dove? Just be in the story and trust the story over time to seep into your life and teach you what you need to learn. And when you're immersed in the story, you no longer feel the need to defend it or prove it. You just be in the story and let the story be told. 
It's a story. It's, don't make it what it's not. It's not an encyclopedia of God facts. It's not a law journal of divine edicts. Learn to read the book for what it is. God's great, big, wild, wonderful, surprise-ending love story. And let there be mystery. Let there be wonder. Let there be beauty. Let there be heartbreak. Let there be suspense. Let there be surprise. Let it be earthy and human. Let it be celestial and divine. But let it be what it is. A story. And if you allow this story to seep into your life, this story will intersect and weave into your story. And that's when you're reading the Bible well. If I, if I have done my task this evening, you will be enticed to want to read the Bible. I am utterly fascinated with the Bible. More fascinated than I've ever been. I'm hungry for it. And you don't have to feel pressure to make sense of every single thing that you're reading. Listen, along the way, you'll learn, you'll, you'll acquire some answers, you'll grow, and all of that's going to happen. But principally, the Bible is Holy Scripture that points us to Jesus. And that's the goal. The goal is not to simply read the Bible. The goal is to encounter Christ. And the Bible is indispensable to that end. So you don't have to read the Bible like you're dissecting it and you have to have all of the answers. and You, have to, you don't have to read it that way. Just allow yourself to be swallowed up in the story. Get into the wardrobe. Fall into the story. Encounter the beauty. Encounter the mystery. Encounter the wonder. And above all, be open to encountering Jesus in new and surprising ways. Because it's not in the Bible you find eternal life. But it's as the Bible enables us to encounter the living Christ. And that's what we want to have happen. Thank you for listening to today's message. To learn more about Village Church, visit our website at villagechurchburbank.org.